I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Bring, bring it Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi, I'm Gittas Whelan, Swansea City fan, making a uh, long overdue return to the podcast. Uh, I also appear on the Jackcast, the Swansea City podcast, which you can find on Twitter at the Jackcast. Hi, I'm Sam Cox. I'm a Southampton fan, and you can find me on Twitter at Mr. Sam E. Cox. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining me today, guys. Gitto, after you mentioned a very long absence, Sam, a slightly less long one, but we missed you both. Glad to have you back on. Uh, I figured this week's show should be mostly about the FA Cup, which has given us an excellent excuse to have Gitto back on, obviously, as they pulled off a victory this weekend. And I just wanted to ask you guys if you were excited about the return of the FA Cup this weekend. I'll be honest, I, I wasn't like excited. If anything, I was thinking in, a, in the middle of a really packed schedule, this was one week where we could give people a break uh, and we could actually like take it a little bit easier. Um, we had the advantage of having a game against Stevenage, which, which probably wasn't the, the toughest of games on paper, um, even though Stevenage played well and, um, and, and could have given us... Um, a bit of a scarier time than, than the eventual scoreline actually suggested. But from my point of view, and it, it seems bad to say this because we should all be, you know, saying how brilliant the magic of the cup is, et cetera, and how much we're looking forward to third round weekend is one of the highlights of the calendar, et cetera. For me, this weekend was like, oh, it's a bit of a week off and that that'll help us in the long run to, you know, um, to, to well help us out in the league. And I can't really pretend that I was, massively you know hyped up for for an fa cup match um yeah so that's my point of view really yeah i'd, I'd probably second that i mean um, of course we, we came back off a fantastic win which we'll touch on later i'm sure against liverpool and and from my point of view i probably wanted a league game to follow that up um to take the uh momentum into that but of course as the week progressed we're we, we found out that our game was was unable to be played because of a, a COVID outbreak uh, in the Shrewsbury camp. Um, so a week off, a weekend off, um, going into a game against Leicester next week, I, I probably would have taken that. Um, the appetite for the weekend from a neutral probably diminished a little bit when your team's not playing, but I think that's the case for, for every fan. If your team's not playing in the in the weekend, then, then perhaps then your appetite for, for the games as neutral goes down a little bit. Um, in terms of the magic of the cup, um, there were some shocks this weekend and there, there were some uh, some great moments. But as I said, I think in terms of a packed, busy schedule, this this FA Cup, I think that will probably be the theme from from now to till the the latter stages that teams will will have to field under eighteen teams or under twenty three teams due to due to the current situation in in Great Britain. So 
I think it's a weird feeling going to the FA Cup this weekend, and I think it's going to be a very strange and a very different tournament to, to previous years. Yeah, does it does the competition still hold a special place for you or your club? And where does the FA Cup as a competition fall among your priorities this season in particular? It would usually for me. Um, I, I I still love the FA Cup. I think it's you know it's it's not really been given the protection and the the yeah the the the. I guess yeah, it's it's just been held back. I think by the authorities in the last year, few years, who've just been on the back foot in terms of keeping it relevant, um, and and it's taken a bit of a battering over the last few years. Really, teams just gradually over the last twenty years just taking it less and less seriously. Um, the the final itself being just becoming a less prestigious event. Um, and I and it's just not got that. It's it. We can't pretend it's it's got the same kind of glory as it used to have. But it, it is still something really special. And I mean, from from a Swansea point of view, our history in the cup is pretty bad, really, on the whole. Um, I mean, we we reached the semi-finals twice back once back in the twenties and once in the sixties. Um, and apart from that, you know, we most years we've we've struggled to even get to the third round. Um, and even, but in recent years, I mean, we've reached the quarterfinals twice in the last um, three years, um, which is you know unprecedented for us, if I'm being honest. And both of the, and one of those occasions came when we were outside the Premier League as well. So, in the last few years, it's like at Swansea we've had a bit more cause for excitement. And like the first time we reached the quarterfinal, it was in our relegation season when actually our performances were quite were, were dire. Actually, throughout that year, we were an awful team to watch. So. Going and playing against Notts County and beating them 8-1, suddenly, like, oh, this is great. I can enjoy watching football again, you know, and playing against um, Wolves and Sheffield Wednesday, who were in a lower league at that point. It was a, it was a different kind of opposition. Um, we actually got to see us play some attacking football, which is something we hadn't seen at all the rest of that season. Um, and, yeah, it, it kind of got us loving the FA Cup again after years of doing very little in the competition. And... Um, it's yeah. I, I I I when you do well in the cup, I think you realise yeah, there's still something there. There is still some magic there. But I I think if you ask the the wider public, what do they feel about it? I think you'd you'd get some people who'd kind of pay lip service to it. But but a lot of people, if you were to really ask them truthfully, would say yeah, it's not it's not what it used to be. Yeah, I think I I agree with your points there on it. Not probably being as prestigious as. As it once was for every Southampton fan, however, it's the FA Cup always plays a, a special part in 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 our fan group because today it's the only major honour that we've won, and the way in which we won it in 1976 was such a momentous occasion. Laura McMenemy's second division uh, side at the time uh, progressing through to the final where we played first division Manchester United, um, and a one nil win secured by Bobby Stokes. Um, the line goes man from Portsmouth who scored Southampton's greatest ever goal um, and I think there's been some fantastic moments for, for the club um, in the competition and I think you know being the age I am now I think I grew up in the sort of last catchment of the FA Cup still holding a little bit of magic and when I grew up Southampton were, were, were struggling in the bottom end of the championship so again it gave us a bit of escapism like you said um, when, we, when we played sides um, from, from this season perspective I think it, it could and it should really be a high priority for for Rav Hasenhutl's side. I think we've 
it's a route into European competition if you win it. Of course, it's a major honour. Um, and I think we, we could prove to be a good cup side this season. I think, as you've seen, on our day, we could potentially beat anyone. You know, we've, we played Liverpool. We got a great result against them. We beat Manchester City last season. Um, but the only itch, issue for us at the moment is, is squad depth. Um, we may not have the players to compete on, on the league and, and on the cup front. Um, so from that point of view, I think... We're we're gonna to have to sort of play a management again against Shrewsbury would have given us a great uh, great chance to rotate and and give some players some some game time, but to go into the point of does it hold the, the prestige it once did I, I don't think it does, um, which is a shame really, um, but but I think that's the, the truth and I think teams now know the financial packages they they get from finishing in higher league positions um, sort of gazump the FA Cup in terms of in terms of winning money. I mean, you've seen it for years. Teams have prioritised going for the top four in the Premier League for it. So for right now, I think it just provides a little bit of escapism. But for me personally, it gives me some great memories. Um, in the same season that you mentioned, that, that Swansea went down, of course, Anton stayed up at Swansea's um, expense that season. But we also reached the semi-final as well. And it sort of played the, played the same sort of themes. You know, it gave us a bit of escapism from, from a dire league campaign. Um, there was a big bit of nostalgia that came with that in terms of Mark Hughes came in, his first game was in the quarterfinal against Wigan, we won, semi-final appearance, and I think that sort of gave Mark Hughes a, a really good start to his tenure at that, that little eight-game period as interim manager, um, which ultimately kept us up. So I think my personal memories, as I said, are great, but as you said, it's not not the prestigious trophy it once was. Gotcha. Well, a little a little sad to hear you guys thinking that it's lost its luster a bit, but obviously some of the smaller clubs that are in it are still hoping for a bit of that magic to be recaptured of the cup. Uh, what do you guys think was the most surprising result of this round? And was there one of those smaller clubs that you were particularly surprised or impressed by? For me personally, I think it has to be Crawley hammering Leeds, you know, to, for a League Two team to beat <laughs> yeah. any Premier League team by by three goals to nil. I mean, wow, that that's phenomenal. But but Leeds have been playing well recently. You know, if it was a team, you know, Black Blackpool beat West Brom and, and it wasn't a weak West Brom team either. Uh, and that was a really impressive result. Um, but, but you know, West Brom have, have been poor this season. Um, they've not really, I, I, I feel, kicked on since Sam Aldice came in. Um, so it's, you know, you, you could say that that one was more likely to be a shock. I know Crawley have been playing well recently, but but to beat a Leeds team, which have have, ha- have hammered a few teams recently, you know, they've been playing really, really well. Um and and they, it wasn't a totally you know reserve side that they picked. There was some big um, big names there, some regular starters in in that lineup. And um, to beat them three 0 and it could have been worse. You know they they had their chances to make it e- e- even more. Um, I I thought it was an absolutely fantastic result. There haven't been that many kind of big shocks, but that one really stood out for me. Yeah, I, t- I tend to agree with that. Um, Crawley, as you say, League Two, Premier League. And that's what the cup's about. And we mentioned before about the prestige and the magic probably coming away from the cup. But these types of results sort of rebuttal that and say that there's still chances for, for the smaller teams to, to get one over on, on the big sides. Um, another result from the weekend, of course, Chorley uh, beat Derby County, although that Derby fielded uh, a team of under-18s and um, due to, again, the similar reasons of Aston Villa. Um, I still think that's a massive scalp. In 10 years' time or so, 
when Chorley fans look back or just neutral fans look back at the, this campaign and they see that they beat Derby County, no one will really care um, that, mm. that Derby fielded that, that side. It will still mean, and it still carries exactly the same weight. But as you say, I think the Crawley result, that was more of a senior team versus a senior team. And uh, you say Crawley came out the second half and just blew them away. Um, Leeds, they say, started with players like Rodrigo, started up top and he's a Spanish a Spanish national international player um so there was there was still quality on that pitch for Leeds uh, and Crawley as I said second half just blew him away and uh, that for me is definitely the the result of the round yeah I think some excellent picks there obviously uh when I saw the Leeds result I assumed that they had put out like a youth side and then I saw who they actually started and I was like oh snap like that was like a real win uh, but kind of in regards to that and the Chorley one with both, you're through to the next round. It doesn't matter what was in front of you. And I, I think that's really the the important thing. And then see how far some of these kind of fairy tale stories can go. Because we, we've seen it before in the Premier League with Leicester winning the title. And it has been a while since we've had a surprising team win either the Carabao Cup or the FA Cup. But uh, I think a lot of neutrals just still hold out hope that, that somebody random will go on and, and win one of these, like I said, like like Leicester did in the Premier League. Um, I wanted to finish up, and it's funny enough that you guys just mentioned uh, Leeds because I want to talk for a second about uh, Marcelo Bielsa and one of his disciples. Obviously, Mauricio Pochettino did this as well, but in the Leeds versus Tottenham match, which obviously Tottenham won, it was a real contrast of styles. Bielsa and Pochettino, to a somewhat similar extent, both prefer to play their best game, and then it kind of doesn't matter who's on the other side of the pitch. Jose Mourinho, obviously on the winning side of that match, is very much the opposite. He will consistently tweak his tactics, the formation, the personnel to match who he's going up against. So I was just curious from your guys' perspectives, which do you prefer tactically to see your team kind of dictate who you are or to respond to who your opponents are? I think there are very few teams in the world who can just go out there and say, we're just going to play the way we play and that will be good enough to, to, to win the match. I think even the best teams have to take into account the opposite, the other team's strengths, and you have to wonder how to negate those strengths. You know, I, I, I don't care who it is. I, you, you have to, at some level, take that into consideration and plan accordingly. Um, I, I think that the one thing that you would say about Leeds is that they, they don't really do that. They go out every single game. They play the exact same way, and. Yeah, you can't argue it's worked on the whole for Leeds. It's you know it they they are fantastic to watch. Um, they they did really well in the Championship last season and they've adapted fantastically to the Premier League. And sometimes that will result in hammerings the way it did against uh, West Bromwich Albion um, the other day where they you know just blew them away. But then the flip side of that is that you'll get matches at, at Old Trafford where you get spanked six two by you know your your biggest rivals. Um, there is a middle ground. You don't have to. People said, "Ah, oh, Leeds, they go out and they, you know, they they always play their way." And you're thinking, "Well, yeah, that's that's lovely, but they can play expansive, you know, entertaining football while paying at least some attention to the opposition's approach and kind of making a few small changes just to be ready for for what they're offering." Um, so I think I think it's just. I don't know if it's arrogance or naivety to, to to assume that you can just beat any team going without by just playing your game. Um, however, obviously there is a there is another side to this, and that's the the managers who will just go out there looking to kill the opposition rather than you know than than play your own thing. And and it 
in the end, I, th I think that can be successful in in on occasions. But on the whole, you can't you can't build a side around that. You know, you can't. And, and even Mourinho, in fairness to him, you know, he he does spend a lot of time looking at the opposition and how to stop them. And tactically, he's brilliant, that kind of thing. But but it would be disingenuous to say that that's all he does is try and stop the opposition from playing. Um, you know, Mourinho is a manager who traditionally throughout his career has actually found that balance pretty well between allowing his team to go out and do their thing while completely killing the opposition's football at the same time. You know, he's been very, very good in it, throughout his career at doing that. Um, and 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 it's one of the main reasons that balance is one of the main reasons why he's he's had so much success in his career. Yeah, I agree with all the uh, all your points there. I think um, people like to use that to, to criticise Bielsa, but I think it's it's a positive, and I think it's sort of a, a breath of fresh air to be honest to, to the Premier League. Obviously, he's not new to English football; it's his third season here now, and he, and he hasn't changed, um, and he and he and he won't change. I don't I don't believe he will, and he's. The success, the success they've got from that is, is paramount, and uh, promotion from Leeds have been out of the top flight for a number of years, and and they look to be pretty comfortable so far in the in the Premier League. Um, at times, I think as a whole, this isn't specifically on Bielsa. I think it might be naive to to not adapt to opponents in in little spells in games, and and, and you look at that. But as you say, I think if you, if you look at Bielsa and the way they play. Um, newly promoted sides, um, and if you look at managers who are a bit more conservative, Slavin Bilic, we saw, sort of lost his job, um, not, not not necessarily by being too conservative, but again, didn't go out to blow teams away. I think that, that the players that they had for that potentially um, potentially let them down slightly, and, and they obviously now they see they've got Sam Allardyce in, who's a master of nullifying games. I know it's not gone according to plan straight away from there, but. Um, I think also there's different situations for different teams. If you're a team in, looking to be in the top half, I think more often than not, you will play your game and you will go out there and you will believe that you've got the ability to go and go and beat teams. But again, when you play against a team within the top top four, top five, then again, you probably will change it, change your, change your style. Um, if you look at West Brom against Liverpool, they, they had to go there and, and try and nullify Liverpool, otherwise they may have got beaten heavily. Like if you look at Leeds against Man United, they went to play their their football and and then got beaten six two. But West Brom managed to pull off a, a great result against Liverpool. So as I say, I think it's it's different for teams in different situations in leagues. Um, I think each game comes with its own narrative in terms of how you should play and how you should do your do your opposition um, analysis and and how to curve that and how to tactically get around that. Um, as you say, the best managers find that middle ground. Mourinho is a master of finding that middle ground and it's paying off for Spurs at the moment. Um, but if you look at Jurgen Klopp, he's had to try and tactically tweak things with with injuries. So I think it's just dependent on the situation of the team, the players, the condition of the players and who you're playing against. I think it really depends on finding that middle ground. Yeah, Gitto will probably be tired of hearing me say this, even though I haven't done it for the last couple of years. But uh, it reminds me of the conversation back from the the last time Bale was at Tottenham, uh, still crazy to say, um, when uh, Tottenham were heading into a match against uh, Arsene Wenger and Bale already had 20-some goals in the Premier League, and they asked how he was going to adjust to playing against Gareth Bale, and he said that they weren't going to. 
and then Bale had two goals. Um, and it was like, maybe you should have. Um, and what's really crazy is that as much as I shouted that from the rooftops, I didn't notice that Poch was kind of doing the same thing of just continually trying to play his best 11 and have them try to play their best football regardless who was across the pitch, which largely worked out across a season because at the time we were very good and had a lot of really talented players, the depth largely an issue. But we never had that like capability of that like light switch in big matches because we were just going to keep doing the stuff we had been doing. And I think that while a lot of fans have gotten on Mourinho for the style since joining Tottenham, um, you can feel that difference. There's, there's a reason why he's been so successful in both reaching finals and winning them. And I think it's that balance that you guys have, have continually talked about. I do think that it's mostly shut down the other team and then he has usually had talented sides. So he isn't as worried about having to teach them how to be good as much as it is containing the other team. But certainly, it, it, as soon as you can find a balance between the two, you're going to find success. And I definitely agree that, that Mourinho has and hopefully will <laughs> continue to do. All right, now we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back with club-specific questions for each of our guests. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. All right, we are back. Gitto, let's talk about Swansea. It's been a couple of years. For those that haven't been keeping up with your adventures in the championship, how's it been going on the whole and how's it going this season? Uh, on the whole, I think it's we've adapted well. I mean, we, we were, I spoke a little bit earlier about our relegation, and there's no doubt that when we were relegated, we were in a real state. I mean, the finances had gone out of control in, in, to, to the point where you know we were entirely dependent on on Premier League um, television money. So when we were relegated, then suddenly that that TV money vanished, and we had a squad on you know wages that we couldn't pay. Going down to the championship, we just had to sell everything, basically. Um, and we were left with a team of youngsters, basically, and, and the odd leftover from our, from our Premier League um, era. And so we had to rebuild, really, um, from, from scratch. Um, and, and the rebuild 
you know, it could have gone one way or the other, really. You know, we've seen some clubs in, in similar situations just completely collapse. And and thankfully, we didn't. Graham Potter, who's now at Brighton, really steadied the ship brilliantly. Um, got us playing good football for the first time in years. Um, really developed some fantastic young players. Um, and, and even though we only finished 10th, I think that was a, a fantastic season. It's a season that we'll all look back at with um, with real fondness. Um, he left, and and instead we've got Steve Cooper, which um, he he's I think he split opinions quite a bit in his first season at the, at the Swans because we had a a brilliant start, followed by months and months of of pretty insipid football, really kind of stuff that doesn't get you very excited, and there was a real fear that. Um, in the long term, why we wouldn't have gone down last season, no matter what, because of the fantastic start we made. There was a fear, fear that, oh, where's this going in the long run? Can we really see a, a, a defined style of play here? Does he know how to get the best out of, the, out of these players? And there was real uncertainty there right up until lockdown. But, but actually, lockdown came at a pretty good time for Swansea um, because we weren't, we didn't really seem to be going anywhere um, in the league. We we drifted out of the playoff spots. We'd won one of our nine game, uh, last nine games before we went into lockdown. Um, but we came back then firing. He changed the formation, gave us five at the back, which um, not only made us very solid and, and difficult to score against, it also gave us width, which was which had been something we'd been sorely lacking. Um, and suddenly a lot of players who had not really been playing that well under Cooper, the likes of Matt Grimes, um, Connor Roberts, Jake Bidwell, Mark Gay, um, these players all of a sudden just blossomed in this new system, which suddenly played to their strengths. And um, we had a great run at the end of um, at the end of last season, miraculously squeezed into the playoff spots on the final day of the season in one of the most crazy day in the club's his, days in the club's history there's no doubt about that anybody who doesn't know with around 25 minutes to go on the final day we were drawing one all against reading and nottingham forest were drawing one all against stoke and for us to qualify basically we needed to score three goals and um nottingham forest needed to concede two um and um actually we scored three and they conceded three um, in, in in the space of around 25 minutes. It was just the most remarkable turnaround. It was incredible, even, even we... as a neutral. It was just like, how is this happening? Oh, it was mad. When you're actually watching it yourself, you're thinking, no, this can't happen. This this can't happen. And then it happened. It was just miraculous. Um, unfortunately, we couldn't go up through the playoffs. We lost to a very good Brentford team, but but just being there was a bit of a bonus, really. And um, but there were there were still question marks, you know, this season, could we actually build on that? Because a lot of our success last season was built on loan players, the likes of Rian Brewster, Conor Gallagher, um, Freddie Woodman and, and Mark Gay, who, who were all integral to that success at the end of last season. Um, and, and well, what happened was Rian Brewster obviously went to Sheffield United, Conor Gallagher went to West Bromwich Albion, but we managed to secure uh, another, uh, well, new deals then on loan for um, Freddie Woodman, uh, who has now kept more clean sheets than any other goalkeeper in the division this season, and Mark Gay, who is, in my opinion, by quite some distance, the, the best centre-back in the division um, this season. He is a, a Chelsea um, 
academy product um, who's played under 21 football for England and he looks like the real deal. He just has it all really, a really good footballer, brilliant physical attributes, really intelligent read of the game. Um, and he's made a massive difference, especially since we lost um, Joe Roden to, to Spurs at the start the, at the start of the, uh, right. the season. So, uh, <laughs> so, but you know, it could, it could again. It's another summer where we weren't really sure which way it would go, whether we would be able to adapt. And actually, we've we've been really impressive in the sense that we've we've worked out a formula um, that that's just yielding results. We're just we're, we're losing very few games. We're conceding even fewer. Um, I mean, defensively, we're immense. And if we take the lead in games, we quite simply do not lose. We've taken 37 points from a possible 39 uh, in, in which we have taken the lead. Um, so that tells you that when we take the lead, we go on to win matches. And it's left us now second in, in the table in what is actually a very competitive top top end of the championship this season. Um, all the teams that were relegated last year from the Premier League have have kept most of their players and um, have retained very strong squads. Um, but we're right in among them there. That, you know, we're, we're, so far at least, sustaining a promotion push. Whether we'll be able to do that for the entire season remains to be seen because we don't have the kind of strength and depth that these clubs do. But for the time being, at least, it's it's looking good. And and whereas last season there were some question marks over the style of play, etc., under, under Cooper... I think this year that, that there's much more positivity in that respect. It's still not kind of free flowing swans alone kind of kind of stuff, um, which is important to fans at our clubs. You know, I, I think you could call us spoilt perhaps, but but I think we're used to seeing good football um, over in the in the modern era, and a lot of fans would trade you know good football for for good results. Um, but this season, for you know, a lot of the time we've we've had. We've had both. We've also had some games where we've played pretty ugly football, but it's but but we've been able to get the win by by playing ugly. Um, so we're not afraid to mix it up when when need be. Gotcha. Well, glad things have been going well for you. Sorry again about the Roden thing. Uh, as you mentioned, though, you've been having to take a lot of players on loan. I think Cooper has obviously been a big part of that after his uh, his stint in the youth ranks uh, of the English national team. Uh, I think that's helped convince a fair few people to join. I think that's safe to say. Uh, but it has bit you in the tail a little bit this year already. We're just a weekend, but you've already had two different players recalled from their loans. Do you think that'll mean that you adjust how you try to bring in players, or are you just going to kind of live and die with the loan system? Quite possibly, because Steve Cooper's said that in the long run, of course, we can't just keep loaning players. We have to, you know, buy a few on on permanent deals. Because over the last few years, our so much of our success has been based either on kind of players who've been promoted from our under twenty three system or or players who we've borrowed from from Premier League teams. Um, the, I mean, the, this window I think is is a bit of a worrying one for us because I a lot of Premier League clubs are going to be looking at their squads and thinking hmm, that we've got a very busy second half of the season. There are COVID outbreaks everywhere. We need a deep squad to be able to cope with this. Uh, and I think, and that's what's happened with Morgan Gibbs-White, um, who joined us in the summer. Everybody got very excited, a player of his experience, even at, at a young age, um, you know, joining us. That that was definitely a sign that got us excited. And in the first four games, he was, he was fantastic, but then picked up an injury. 
um, missed out on three months of football, came back for 10 minutes against Watford, looked a different class to everybody else on the pitch. And then suddenly Wolves want him back because, you know, in fairness to them, they have an injury crisis and, and they need all the help they can get. He's not our player. So, you know, it, 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 it was it. Wolves had every right to take him back. And in fairness, we've done something similar to Newport County, bringing back Brendan Cooper, um, who was quite possibly their best player this season, quite possibly the best defender in League Two so far this season. But we've got a bit of a, we've got a few problems in defence at the moment with injuries. So uh, we've recalled him. It's one of the risks you take with with loan deals. Um, but, you know, so far, at least we, we haven't had this kind of issue before because um, players have, have mainly stayed fit and, and clubs have been willing for us to keep them. And I think one of the things that we have got going for us is, like you said, there are clubs who, uh, well, because of Steve Cooper's reputation of nurturing players, not only now with with England, but but with Swansea now, you know, what, what he's done with players who he's had on loan. Um, a lot of Premier League clubs are now keen for us to have their players. So when they're deciding where to send their players, we're, we're kind of top of that list of, of clubs where, you know, um, they're likely to be to be developed. Um but obviously this week with, you know, with the situation, uh, the way it is with injuries and COVID outbreaks, we've we've lost a player who we were really looking forward to getting back and who we thought could add something big to this um, to this side in the in the second half of the season. Uh, unfortunately, that's that's not going to happen now. And the hope for me is it's just that we don't lose any more players um, in, in, in that way. Um, but it. As Steve Cooper said in his midweek press conference, it shows the kind of risks when you do put so much emphasis on loan players. And it's worked brilliantly for us in the last few years when we just haven't had the money to go out and buy quality championship players. Um, and I, I still think we're going to be using it quite a bit in future, even if um, we try to balance it up a bit more with um, some of our own signings. Gotcha. And then lastly, you mentioned the financial issues you were having on your way down. There was also all of the uh, American buyout stuff that was going on at the time. Uh, Has all of that now been resolved? Obviously, your success in the table kind of indicates that the club's in a lot healthier place now. But is is that the feeling within the fan base as well? Yes, I think we've when we came down, there was genuine concern that we could do a Bolton or a Portsmouth or a Sunderland or something like that and just get us get ourselves into a real hole, um, both financially and in a football sense as a result of that. Um, That that seems to have been avoided now because we've been able to sell assets, um, not just the players who we had in the Premier League, who who we were able to sell in the first place, but more importantly, really, the the under twenty three products, the likes of um, Ollie McBurney and Dan James, and now Joe Roden, they've they've all been sold for um, for quite large sums of money by championship varying standards. amounts of money. <laughs> <laughs> so you know we've we've been able then to use that cash to plug the gaps in the finances to just balance the ship. We we're still having to make cuts. We're still not able to to throw our own money but but we are we have at least avoided you know the prospect of of meltdown um which was very realistic when we were relegated and and in terms of the american owners you know they've never been popular they still aren't popular but one thing they've done is that they have now um realized that they need to appoint good people to run the club who understand football and they um they did that brilliantly by getting in um uh, uh trevor birch um who 
um, spent like five minutes at Spurs this season after leaving us before going to the FA, I think. Uh, no, the EFL. Um, but he's, um, I mean, he was somebody who really knew how to run a football club and he got us, um, made, just made us into a, you know, a well, a well-run football club again. And now we've got Julian Winter in who, um, even though it's early days, seems to, you know, seems to have a decent idea of what, what he's doing. So the, the fact that the Americans aren't actually running the club anymore, they're just owners and, and they've allowed somebody else then to take over the running, it's helped a great deal. They they are, you know, in in the kind of on the sidelines, just watching from afar, not really having much of a say. And as a result, you know, the, the club's better run. So that's that's great. And, and it's more harmonious and off the field now than, than it has been for a while. Gotcha. Well, always good when you hear a club kind of healing past wounds and everything like that. Um, Sam, we'll come to you now to talk about Southampton. Uh, obviously, no match this weekend because of all of the COVID uh, issues that are swirling around. 112 positives. Uh, were reported before this round of the FA Cup. Um, so yours is postponed. Uh, was just curious. So last week um, we had Jamie on, and they had their match postponed because of Villa. Um, and we were talking about how that might actually be a little bit of a blessing in disguise because they, they had some injured players that they might get back on the other side uh, of that break. And I was just curious for Southampton, do, do you kind of wish you'd been able to keep the momentum going from the Liverpool match, or, or is a break a, a timely thing for you? I think looking at it as a whole, I think it is actually a timely break for us. It gives us a couple of weeks um, preparation towards a, a massive game against Leicester next weekend. Um, of course, it would have been nice to carry on the momentum, but truth be told, the team that would have played against Shrewsbury anyway would have, would have looked completely different to the team that, that managed to beat, that beat Liverpool. So, yeah, it's, it's always good to, to keep the momentum going. But as I said, the players would would have probably got that rest anyway. To, so to have two weeks now to to focus completely on on the Leicester game is is only a positive really for for Hasenhutl's side. Gotcha. And then Hasenhutl, obviously the man of the last two years, um, but uh, things going very well. Obviously, the win against Liverpool was a huge one. I uh, was just curious your thoughts on that match on the whole, how it transpired, and why you think he had such a strong reaction at full time. Well, I think you could you can probably separate the two. I'll I'll happily speak about the the the, the reaction from Ralph at full time because I think there's quite a lot of levels to it um, that that other fans, neutrals, and Liverpool fans probably won't um, won't won't have understood and why people probably thought it might have been a bit of an overreaction. Um, Ralph took his coaching badges with Jurgen Klopp, so they've got a bit of a uh, a friendly rivalry. I think they're they're good friends um, off the field, but there's always that little bit of rivalry between. And it's the first time he's beaten them, regardless in in Germany or in England. So that there's that added factor. Um, the week before, of course, he missed the game against West Ham. Um, I believe that someone in his house tested positive. So there's always a bit of a worry there. And I think the times at the moment are so uncertain. I think when when it gets brought into your house or there's there's personal um, cases, I think it always brings home a little bit, um, and and of course to beat the best team in Europe, albeit with no real centre halves, but regardless, it's still a, a team filled with quality. Thiago in midfield came back, um, the front three remained the same, and and Saints pretty much nullified, pretty much nullified 
anything that Liverpool threw at them. I don't really recall standing goalkeeper Fraser Forster having a massive save to make, um, and that's all. And that's all um, credit down to the players. Saints themselves were without key players as well. Jack Stevens played uh, for Yannick Vestergaard. Uh, as I say, Fraser Forster came in for Alex McCarthy, and, and Ibrahim Diallo came in for Jorge Romeo. So, from Saints' point of view, there was there was players there that that were coming in cold really and, and to put in a performance like that individually and collectively um would have just been pleasing for for Ralph. Um the situation when he took over the club he took over the club and we were in a poor state. We we had some players who were on long contracts, big money. He knew this was going to take time um and he pulled us out of a dire, as I said, a dire situation which looked certain for relegation. Um before he came in we were almost delaying in the inevitable of relegation and now only two years later from when we first spoke, Kev, from from that point to, to now people are looking up and seeing this as, as, you know, European challenges. And I think that win against Liverpool really hit home for Ralph um, about the work he's done and how far he's taken the club. And I think, um, as I said, there's so many layers to it that that perhaps he that, that he got, the, got a little bit emotional. But I think that's what we need at these times. I know he got a lot of criticism from different different uh, corners of, of the media but I think that's quite unjust I think it's unfair um, during the times we live in I think the emotion of the game that, that's been pulled out of it with no fans being there it's great to see a little bit of emotion putting back into the game and it also shows his affinity from a Swansea point of view with the club and with the players that he's got um, so from, from a Swansea point of view it was good to see and uh, and of course um, he blamed the wind as well it must have been a windy day on the south coast hmm. so I mean that can have been a factor as well yeah, I've always been confused by both the media and social media's reactions to seeing genuine emotion in sports because we claim we want to have those genuine, authentic moments and then they happen and then people just argue against why they shouldn't have happened for like a week afterwards. Kind of mm-hmm. make up your mind there. Or maybe they want it to happen so they can complain about it. Regardless, I, as a neutral, I was I was really uh, touched by that, but I didn't really know where it was coming from. So thanks for sharing. I was just like, did, did Klopp do something at him in Germany or... <laughs> Uh, so anyway, thanks for enlightening me and uh, the folks at home. Uh, we'll wrap up talking about Southampton with your upcoming matches. So you're currently sat sixth. The last time we, you were on, we talked about that and, and whether you were kind of looking up the table or down. You're about to have a very interesting run of matches. So Leicester leads Arsenal and Villa. None of them easy. None of them too hard in theory. And I was just wondering if your perspective of matches like of matches against clubs like these have changed based on the success you've had this season. Are you now looking at these four matches like we have a chance to win all of them and really cement ourselves in the top six, or are you still a little bit wary of a run of fixtures like that? I think it, so I think it would be a bit naive to think that we can go there and roll over the teams or, or get four wins on the bounce just because the the situation is the Premier League and the Premier League unpredictable. As you say, they're, they're games on paper that... You think, oh, Samson could win those games, but four, four on the bounce, it would be very difficult to do that. Um, I'm not saying that it's impossible to do so with, with how far this team's come. I think we've already beaten Aston Villa away, so at home we could fancy ourselves. Uh, Arsenal are a much better team now than when we played them only a few weeks ago. Um, away, which is, a, and again, another away game, which we, we got a good point from. Um, they say Leeds are unpredictable and Leicester... I think the Leicester game for us will be crucial for this run of games. Um, it doesn't matter if we win, lose or draw it. I think they're, they're a fantastic team and, and 
they're going very well, as, as many would predicted at the start of the season. Um, but I think the issue for, for Saints at the moment, which will probably let us down, is, as I said, the, the strength in depth that we've got. If you looked at our bench against Liverpool, apart from Shane Long, the rest were, were, were players from our B team. You know, and Lindelou came on alongside Nathan Teller um, and Jan Valery also. So three players who came off the bench against Liverpool were, were academy graduates. So there's a bit of an experience there. And sometimes you need to lean on on experienced players to to get you through a run of these games. Um, as I say, I don't go into games now uh, fearing anyone. And I think that's true testament to Rav Hasnul and what he's done. I think before he came in, a run like this, would, would we would just be dreading it, really. Um, you know, there wasn't many occasions that we picked up consecutive wins. And to be in, you say, sixth in the league, 29 points already, looking at the table, thinking, you know, what a fantastic job he's done. It's great to sometimes pull yourself out of of the bubble and, and to take things into perspective. And, and so far this season, it's, it's a fantastic points return for, for Tim Southampton, who struggled for a long time before he came in and throughout sort of the first third, two thirds of, of his tenure with, with trying to steady the ship. So let's go back to, to the run of games. I don't fear any of these games, but that doesn't say I don't think they're going to be difficult matches. Aston Villa uh, have proved that they can be a fantastic side. I think they play better away from home anyway. Uh, Arsenal's the same resurgent. Um, they're, but still a team that are still showing signs of weakness. Uh, Leeds, again, that'll be a really interesting battle between Hazenhutl and Bielsa. As you say, you know, two teams who do like to press um, in different ways. Um, say, we talked about earlier, Bielsa goes sort of all-out attack and Ralph is pressing and, and tries to set these traps. So I think that's going to be a really interesting tactical battle. And, and Leicester, again, a, a fantastic team, very difficult game. So... If we can come out the other side of these four games still within contention for, for a Europa League place, then who's to say that we can't go and achieve that by the end of the season? Yeah, fair enough. And, and no reason to not have loads of optimism right now as, as a Southampton supporter. Um, I will ask a question to you guys, kind of a mix between a club topic and a general news and notes, which of course we start the show off with. But uh, there has been a lot of talk within Tottenham circles, at least, about this kind of feel-good story between Tottenham and Marine. Obviously, they expected they were going to be able to have fans in their stadium. 2,000, I don't know how many their stadium seats, but having seen it today, that probably would have been about full capacity. Um, instead, they just have to watch from their back gardens, which is still a pretty cool visual. But with no fans able to go, Marine obviously were, were at risk of losing all of the gate receipts and money. So instead, what happened is they sold virtual tickets. They ended up getting about 300,000 pounds, which is... Certainly no chump change for a club uh, in, I believe, the seventh tier. And then they're going to do a raffle with everybody that bought a digital ticket. And whoever wins that raffle will actually get to manage them in a preseason friendly uh, next season, or at least when COVID has waned some. Uh, so this has been very uh, heavily propagated throughout the at least Tottenham Twitter space. And I was just wondering if it had made it outwards or, or as neutrals, if you'd heard about it or, or how you feel about it in general. I, I had only personally heard about um, Marine sort of selling tickets for the match, even though they, they you know knew that they couldn't have people in, and that that had you know raised more money than they ever could have gotten by um, by just selling match tickets, um, which is great. And it, you know it's it's just pure charity, isn't it? But it's 
that kind of charity that actually is is necessary for um for for a club like marine who you know we we we've read so much about grassroots sports struggling at this time um it's it's obviously going to be a struggle for for any club at this time but especially one which has no means of income really other than the match day income that they simply don't get at the moment um so fair play to spurs fans you know that's it's it's nice to see football fans actually coming together, and I guess it's easy to say when it's Premier League fans doing it for a team in the seventh or eighth tier of English football, you can say, well, they're not helping out competition or anything like that. But it's nice to see people actually seeing football as a family and doing their bit to help, you know, um, those lower down the food chain, I guess, and and yeah, making sure that that they're okay. Uh, and it is going to be a massive amount of money for a club at that level. Um, I was wondering actually before I heard about this story. Because it's such a shame that a club like Marine has has been denied fans at, at the game today. You know, it's it's probably the biggest game in their in their history, really. Um, mm. You know, they may never ever get the chance to play against a team of of Spurs' stature again. It it would be lovely if once this is all over, Spurs can play like a, a preseason friendly or something, to, or send you know some weekend squad or something like that, just in the summer sometime to Marine to help them raise a bit more cash. Mm. Um, but but it's you know it, it's great to see fans seeing football as a family beyond their own club and and helping out a, a club in Marine which you know will not have had it easy during this um, pandemic. Yeah, I think I, I agree with all of that. I think as you say, like you said, Kev, three hundred thousand pounds from from the from the online ticket sales plus the television revenue. This fixture and and that sort of as you say sort of fundraising from from clubs. And fans across the country and across the world is going to allow Marine to carry on for for a long, long time. We know how big these FA Cup fixtures are for for teams in in non-league, and if they can get a televised game or pull a big, big side, then then that can really fund the club for for many years. So the fact that they made more money from that than they would have done had had normal spectators been in um, is fantastic. And I think, as you said, the Spurs community. Um, should should be applauded and and should um are, are rightly feeling good about about the way in which this has been handled. I like the point made that that Spurs could potentially send a team down in a preseason friendly um as well. But you said I think the, the the best compliment that that Spurs gave Marine was the fact that they still feared a good side. They kept their intensity and, and they went and beat them. I think Mourinho said that at the beginning of the game in his in his uh, interview that the best uh, respect they can show them is go and win. Um, and they went and did that, and they gave them a really good game. Uh, first 25 minutes, Marine, I thought, looked look a good side. Um, they, they really started, but again, you know, the quality's there between the two teams. I think today was the the biggest gulf between two sides in the FA Cup of, of all time, or, or matched it at least. So, yeah, this is what this F, FA Cup's all about. And I think we talked about the magic before, potentially going for, for teams who are in the top top two, top three divisions in England. But when you look at look at the team that's made of Semi-professional players, you know, most of them are probably, you know, pandemic side will be going to work tomorrow. I think the the striker is a teacher. Um, then it is a feel-good story, and I think that's what the FA Cup's all about. And the fact that the money's come in from from various sources um, just just adds to the level of of, of goodwill. Awesome. I, I was genuinely curious if it was just a whole bunch of Spurs supporters patting themselves on the back, or if the impact of this was being felt 
uh, a bit broader. So very nice to hear kind words about Tottenham. And we'll get back to guests slating us next week, I'm sure. Um, now we'll head into Player Watch, where I was just curious, who do you think is the best player at your club and who is the best young player at the moment? Um, from Swansea's point of view, I mean, most of our best players are are young anyway. Um, for me, I think this season, the, the most consistent and impressive performer and, and one of our most um, influential players as well by now is Connor Roberts, um, who is one of our older, younger players, I guess. Uh, he's 23, 24 <laughs> now. Um, and he is a right back who... Um, played a little bit in the Premier League in our final season, but but really got his chance when we went down to the to the Championship. He is a Duracell bunny. He just does not stop running. He has energy reserves, the likes of which I don't, I'm not sure I've ever seen before. Um, he can just run and run and run and never get tired. And and it's you know that there are you have these players who have this energy and just they can keep going and going and going. But sometimes the quality isn't there. And and what's been impressive about Connor Roberts this season is is the quality that he's shown, um, mainly in attack. I mean, he's been pitching in defensively. There's no doubt about that. But because we now play five at the back and we've got the three centre-backs, he's got so much freedom now to get forward. And um, he's he's been one of our most creative players. Well, I think he has actually created more chances than any other player in our team. And there are very few players in, in the entire championship who've created more chances than him. And, you know, it, it's a bit of a modern trend, isn't it, that we see wing-backs being kind of the main creators in a team. It's it's something we've seen at Liverpool over the last few years. And um, he, he's been doing it here. On, on the other wing, we had Jake Bidwell, who started the season brilliantly, has made his, his outputs just dropped a little bit of late, but still having a great season. Um, but we, we've seen, actually, that when, on the rare occasions that teams can stop us um, getting the ball to our wing-backs and stop the wing-backs from getting forward, those are the teams that do well against us. That's our main weapon, when we get those two forward. And um, if if we were to you know lose either of those, I think we'd be in major trouble. Um, other shout-outs, um, I mean, Mark Gay, I think, is the best centre-back in the division. I think he is. He's on loan from Chelsea, and he is an absolute star in the making. He has just got it all, and sometimes it feels like, like he's two players at the same time. He, he, can, he just has this presence about him, um, as well as this fantastic skill set. And obviously, you know, further up the pitch, you've got a player like Andre Ayew, who... Um, is the most well-paid player in the championship. He's a he's a kind of player that we we've tried to get rid of so many times um, to ease to to ease the pressure on our wage bill. But but obviously with his wages, nobody else has been offering him um, anything close to what he's getting uh, at Swansea. So even though he's he's been a major financial burden on the club over the last few years, in fairness to him, man, does he do his best to pay it back because his attitude is incredible. He's a real leader in the team and, and he's he, he pitches in with goals as well. And, you know, more recently, we've seen Jamal Lowe, um, summer signing from Wigan. A lot of people very excited about him. Um, we we basically got him on, on the cheap because of Wigan's misfortunes um, and, and, and their, you know, awful off-field um, troubles. But we took advantage of that and, and bought him for less than a million pounds. And, even though he wasn't scoring earlier on in the season, he was still playing well. 
now he's started scoring, some of those goals are really, really good, including two against Cardiff, which always goes a long way towards um, earning favour among the Swansea <laughs> fans. So he's, I mean, all season we've been saying, oh, we, we could do with a striker, we could do with a striker. And suddenly, well, may, maybe we can do without that that extra striker because he's scoring regularly now and, and just playing fantastically too. Um, so there, there are quite a few to choose from in Swansea. Um, I'm, I'm very happy to report. <laughs> Yeah, from a Southampton point of view, I think this one's this one's pretty straightforward. Who our who our best player is, and of course that's Danny Ings. Um, Not Theo, huh? To, All right. <laughs> no, well, I mean it's close. No, honestly, um, Danny Ings is just a cut above the rest, really, and he's the focal point of uh, focal point of the team. Um, I, I can't speak highly enough of him. Uh, he's he's not just his goal scoring. I think people will look at that and go, oh, it's just, you know, he just scores the goals. He does so much for the, for the team. Drops deep, wins the balls back, links up, and then he's got that desire to get into the box. Um, and his goal against Liverpool was just fantastic. And he's got that variety to his finishing. Um, a little cheeky lob over over Allison, and yeah, absolutely brilliant. And you know he's come in. I mean, I could I could speak for hours on Danny Ings. You know, last season scored so many goals. It was the reason we stayed up really last season, and now we've been able to push on alongside him. I just hope now that we've been able to show him that we've got the ability to to stay in this area and hopefully he stays and signs a, a new contract. If he does that, then, then you know, 2021 will be made regardless of what else happens. But, uh, yeah, Danny Ings, again, I could talk for hours about him. Just um, a phenomenal footballer who, you know, I don't want to say it too loudly, should be playing at a higher level than Southampton. But he's a Southampton boy. You know, he's come through... Uh, come through a hell of a lot to get to get back to this level you know successive knee injuries in Liverpool you know could have been career ending he's come back he's come down to Southampton he's come back to a place where he's absolutely adored by the fans and he's letting his football do the talking for him um that's enough on Danny otherwise I'll, I'll find myself going on a bit of a tangent uh, <laughs> young players luckily with Ralph and our recruitment we've for the first time in in, in a few years, maybe even since Pochettino was at the club, we've got a few young players now who we could get a little bit excited about. I think the one, the main one for me is a player who's not actually come through our roof, roof yank, uh, youth ranks is uh, Ibrahima Diallo signed in the summer from uh, from Brest in France. Looks like a, you know, he came in, looks a little bit skinny, looks a little bit reserved, but he's come in and He's come in and he filled the void of Oriol Romero perfectly against Liverpool. You know, a 21-year-old coming up against a midfield that contains Thiago Alcantara and, and, and well-class players. And he, and he didn't look out of place. He looked fantastic alongside James Ward-Prowse. Um, so I'm really looking forward to seeing how he progresses under Hazen Hill. Um, and as I said, we've got forward players who have also shined in uh, Nathan Teller and, and Dan and Lindelou, who both came on and actually finished the game leading the line for sentence against Liverpool. And, actually look, look quite accomplished as well. So the future's bright, I think, for, for our young players. Those two look good. And so Ibrahim and Diallo. I would like to touch on Theo Walcott, like just as you said, Kev, who's come in and has potentially shown a different side to, of, of our recruitment policy going forward. You know, a player who hasn't really had a run of games in the Premier League since he played for Arsenal. Um, injuries and form has probably hampered that. Everton, you know, played played a little bit under... Uh, Sam Allardyce, really out of the team, sort of Marco Silva, Ancelotti didn't fancy him. He's come again to the club that, uh, very similar to Danny Ings, come back to the club that 
Um, although he didn't support, he came through the the ranks here, and 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 he's been a breath of fresh air. He's added a different edge. He provides versatility going forward. He can play up front, or he can play on the wing or in the inverted cam role. Um, so yeah, Walcott hopefully against his contract, Everton runs out in the summer. So hopefully he could come in on a permanent and, and continue his good form for us. Yeah, and then I thought there might be a, a lovely dovetail to this by talking about uh, Michael Obafemi, who apparently was a lone target of Swansea, obviously at Southampton, but then it seems like an injury has scuppered all of that. So instead, we'll just less gracefully transition into match previews. Uh, Gitto, you're going to be at Barnsley at the weekend. Uh, chance to kind of solidify yourselves in second there. What do you think we'll see in this one? I think it'll be a difficult game. I mean, Barnsley are a, are a good side. They've got some, um, they've got some good little footballers there. They're the kind of team in the last few years they they just find uh, good players from from all sorts of places. They've used the German market very very well um, over the last few years, and and I think they're outsiders for for the playoff spots um, this season. They've got, but but one of the things that's holding them back is their performances against. Or, or rather, the results they're getting against the um, the top teams in the table. I think it's been levelled at them, kind of a bit like the debate that we we had a bit earlier that they don't adapt their style of play enough when they come up against the top teams, and that that stops them from getting the picking up the little draws that may be able to push them up up the table. Um, they they played against us a couple of weeks back in what was one of the worst games you'll see this season. Just to, here's a stat for you. The pass completion rate that day was 49% for Barnsley and 39% for Swansea. <laughs> so that tells you something about how bad that game was. It wasn't helped by the, the shocking state of our pitch on that day. Uh, it's been relayed since then. But, but still, it was a game where we took the lead very early on and then just decided, yeah, we're going to just protect this now we're going to stick everybody behind the ball and we're not going to try and play football on this pitch um and that um yeah that was that was enough for us to win the game really just um holding on then um for for DLI for, but in fact I mean Barnsley didn't really create anything I don't think either side really showed on that day what they're capable of um so I, I expect a slightly tougher test when we go up um to their place but you know over the last few games we've played really well we, we were extremely unlucky not to beat Reading um, and and then did really well to come from behind against uh, against Watford to get an extremely impressive 2-1 win there so hopefully we can, we can keep that going um, you know we won again against Stevenage even though you know it wasn't the it wasn't a vintage performance by any means but um, but but we, it feels like we're on a bit of a roll and it feels like we're enjoying winning games and we've got that that kind of winning mentality in the team at the moment. And um, so hopefully we can we can continue that, albeit at a, at a different, a difficult place in, in Oakwell. Gotcha. Well, certainly best of luck. And then, Sam, obviously we talked about your upcoming mm-hmm. run of fixtures, Leicester, the first one. You've already touched on it for a bit, but any further thoughts on this one? Yeah, as I say, I think it's probably the biggest game of our season so far, looking at the table, you know, that, that, that top half of the table is so tight and with teams on different games played because of various reasons, it, it hasn't quite got a clear picture, but Saints and, and Leicester have both played 17 games and they're three points above us. So this is a massive game for us to hopefully go and win and put ourselves in contention for for, for, for a European place this season. Um, the hopes aren't massively up. I don't think it's a, it's a given that we go there and get a result. Leicester have proven against a lot of teams this season that, that they can blow teams away but there's also another side of them that as you say 
ha, have also stuttered a little bit. So, as I said, there's not much more for me to touch on. I spoke about it a lot uh, earlier, but as I say, I think we can go there. They're not to be feared, but um, I think for the neutral, it's going to be a fantastic game. All right, well, good luck there, and that will wrap us up for the day. So if you'd like to tell folks where they can find you or anything you've been working on, now would be a good time. Yeah, thanks for having me back. It's been great. Um, if you want to um, read a couple of my columns for the South Wales Evening Post, you can find them um, usually on my Twitter account, at git.llewellyn. Uh, and to um, keep up to date with the Jackcast, you can find us either on uh, iTunes or various podcast um, platforms or on Twitter at the Jackcast. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Mr. Sammy Cox. And if you're a Brighton and Hove Albion fan, you can read my weekly column in the Brighton and Hove Independent. I usually link that on my Twitter as well. Um, but apart from that, yeah, find me at Mr. Sammy Cox for, for all of my articles and what I'm up to. Yeah, definitely be sure to go check out all of that. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries. You can find me on Twitter at Kevroff. You can find the show at EPL Roundtable and you can search for it. Uh, on all of the podcasting things at EPL Roundtable. And when you do so, you also see some episodes of the Championship Pod, which you can find on Twitter at Championship Pod. So if you want to follow what's going down in the Championship, obviously with Swansea, check out the Jackcast. And if you're looking for a more general view, check out Championship Pod as well. Uh, thanks to you two so much for coming back on. Get to an absolute pleasure after all this time. Sam, an absolute pleasure, even though you've been on more recently. And folks at home, we hope you keep listening. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.